Folks, I wish you could see Lauren Mole. It is Halloween, and he's Captain Lauren. <laughs> the Captain. You're looking great, man. You ready for a good show? I'm ready for a good show. You're looking too good as well, Judd. Oh, thanks. Yeah, this is my Danny Zuko doing a little grease thing today. Right on, a little John Travolta. Yeah, there you go. You know, usually we do a Halloween show. And although we're dressed up, today we're going to focus on... It's hard to believe anything's more important than Halloween, but for especially for what we've been through lately with the fires, it's good to know that there are folks out there ready to help and support our community and who continue to do so. And our guest is, oh, actually, he just walked in. Look at this. It's Terrence Mulligan, the president and CEO of the Napa Valley Community Foundation. Good morning. Good morning, Judd. How are you? I'm great. And I've got, did you make that coffee? <clears throat> My goodness. I added some uh, some extra particulate matter to the coffee, just in honor of the fires. I wasn't sure if you'd like that. That's uh, delicious. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to sitting down and finding out a little bit more about the Community Foundation and how you assist, how you throw support to, well, as it says right in the title, to the community. So thank you for coming in. We'll try to make it up to you as well, because I know you like Halloween too. So maybe we'll have a little Halloween show later on in the season. It'll be a makeup. But in the meantime, what do you think? We invite you to join Judd at his family's winery at the south end of Silverado Trail. Judd's Hill Winery, located at 2332 Silverado Trail, here in Napa Valley, California, USA. Thanks, Lauren. And visiting information can be found at Judd'sHill.com. While you're online, you can see some of our uh, quirky videos, photos. Uh, You can put some wine in your shopping basket, and maybe, maybe we should give them a little deal for listening. Well, speaking of which... Just for being an average listener, type it. And wait, an average listener? And oh, oops, sorry, Bob. We're gonna have to edit that. Ah, oh, no, Bob, leave it in. I like that. <laughs> Just for being an avid listener, type in coupon code JNVS, all in lowercase letters, please, and you'll get fifteen percent off your entire wine order. And I think that's a good deal, but an even better deal. You can join the Judd's Hill Wine Club anytime, day or night, whether it be 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 4 o'clock in the morning. That's true. Information's online. It's free to join. You get all the delicious wines, invitations to events. Just a good time guaranteed for all. You know, I kind of like that average listener thing. You know, on a day-to-day, on my average day as I tune into Judd's Napa Valley show. So I, I like what you said. Thanks, Lauren. Now, a little slip of the tongue, but what the heck? What the heck? We've got a great show. Uh, Terrence uh, Mulligan is here, and he uh, he's raring to go. Uh, you've even brought a little... Well, we'll get to that. Yes. L- tune in to find out what he brought. This is exciting, folks. Let's do a show. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know From witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show On Judd's Napa Valley Show Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show And now... Live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Fingelstein. Good morning, Lauren Mole, or Captain Lauren, or what should I call you? Swabby, matey. It's Halloween, man. Just anything. And you are a pirate. 
I am. You look great. What's for today? Tell me, tell me about this costume you've put together here. This is you've got the, you've got like the uh, scarf around the head. It's not a scarf, I guess. In pirate terms, you'd call it a schmata, something like that. <laughs> um, you have a, a, a scar on your cheek. You've got the. I love it. It's the total um, perfect striped long sleeve like sailor shirt. Uh, boots. You've got a skull belt buckle with a sash. You are ready to go out and cause some trouble. If I think so. <laughs> well, I, I think you're ready to cause some trouble. Oh. What's going on for Halloween? Are you? I mean, obviously you're getting into it, but what? Uh, what's the big plan? Are you going to go out now? I don't. I don't think you trick or treat. We've talked about this before, and I'm not saying there should be any age limit. Obviously, you're a man in your 20s, and a lot of them don't go trick or treating. But if you showed up at my door, I'd give you candy. Do you like to go out and walk the streets, or do you hang out and give out candy? What do you do on Halloween? Well, right now, I like to just hand out the candy to the kids. That's right, and you'll be wearing this, probably. Make them feel uh, like they're part of a special Halloween house. Um, probably yes. Okay, that's good. Um, do you have Halloween traditions in the mole family household? Technically, no. No. From what I understand. <laughs> okay. Just get dressed up and hand out candy. That's right. Sounds good. I like that. Anything else going on that I should be aware of, Lauren? Uh, well, I recently uh, went to the, the uh, pancake breakfast at Napa Valley College uh, on Sunday to honor the first responders. I was there as well. I, I didn't see you. Well, I didn't see you either, so how do I know you were really there? Maybe you're just saying this to make yourself seem like, a, like an honorable citizen. But I know you are. I got there late. That is my excuse. I showed up like with two minutes to go. They were still putting flapjacks on. Um, but by the time I got in the door, um, they were they were pulling the buffet off. So I got to see a few people. But how was it? Did you have a good time? I did. Great. We saw Chef Itamar Abramovich uh, back there putting the uh, pancakes on. And he was a guest during our emergency week here. On the show, um, what an amazing guy. He, uh, he seems to be everywhere. You know, he's, he cooked for that. He was cooking for the first responders, for the evacuees, getting thousands of meals out. And the guy doesn't stop. And then I saw him later that night at one of the, um, the dinners that Eduardo uh, Dingler and Chef Abramovich put on to, to raise funds for fire uh, relief. Guy never sleeps. Anyway, did you have a good time? I did. Glad to hear it. Thanks. And also, I have a very special announcement to make. Aha! Uh-huh. Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock on Napa TV Channel 28, our very own Will and Jaleesa Marcencia, along with Barry Martin, will be special guests on the Napa show with Artie Party. You know, I'm really glad to hear that. I know Artie has been wanting to get uh, the new owners of the station on for some time, and uh, this is good. They deserve to bask in the glow of some um, praise and notoriety for everything that uh, they kept going here. That's a really strangely constructed sentence I just said. But, but good for them. I'm glad they're getting on TV. I'm glad they're getting the recognition due to them. And that's good. So that's Wednesday night. The, the Artie Party shows every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. To 7.30. To 7.30. But also... On Comcast 28. Yes, but also... Yes. Rebroadcast from 10 o'clock to 11.30 on Saturday nights. Okay. So a couple chances to see them. That's right. And, of course, Lauren Mole is the on-air announcer there as well. And on camera. Will you be wearing a Halloween costume? Yeah, tomorrow's November 1st, so... That's I close enough. That. It's close enough. You know, the Simpsons usually do their Halloween special after Halloween. <laughs> I'm... I'm No, okay. No. All right. So, no, uh, that's, that, that is a decided no. No. So uh, so what's been going on with you, Judd? You know, it's just just catching up. We had the, the week, a uh, couple weeks where we were here broadcasting during the, the fires and getting information out. 
and um, still just trying to get into a groove after that. It, it's tough. The 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 valley, you know, the, it's the the message is you know we're open for business and we want people to come and enjoy themselves, but at the same time, it's also. You know, a lot of us have gone through something here, and so I'm still trying to kind of reconcile things in my own head and be as uh, helpful as I can to members of uh, our community. So it's it's I don't know what the right word is, but um, trying well, to be think about trying it. to be thoughtful, uh, trying to be proactive, trying to be uh, a small businessman uh, concerned about his business and get people up here because it's it is beautiful. It's still uh, the tail end of harvest season and the the air is clear, and we'd love for people to visit, but we also have to be mindful of our neighbors who need our support. That being said, we're going to talk a lot more about that today. Okay. With our guest, who I, I would ah. be honored if you would introduce at this very moment, Lauren Mole. Well, I have the paper right here in my hand. Great. Today's guest does much good, so our show won't be dull again. On our philanthropy meter... He tops and rates fully 10. Let's toast this foundation with a Napa Valley libation and welcome our pal, Terrence Mulligan. All right, Terrence Mulligan, man. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. You are the director, executive director. Is that the CEO? What is the proper... I should know these things before I introduce a guest. Your title is... Well, I know you're the big deal, uh, the, the main cheese, the head honcho. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll answer to any of the above. <laughs> okay. My official handle is President and CEO of Napa Valley Community Foundation. Fantastic, which we've been hearing quite a bit about since, um, you know, especially during this fire disaster that we had. You know, since, since day one, people have said, you know, direct your charitable donations toward the Napa Valley Community Foundation, and they'll find a great use for it. Before I start asking you about it, I'm just going to put something out there. Today is Halloween. Mm -hmm. For those of you listening, you probably already know that. And the tradition on Judd's Napa Valley show is to have a Halloween show. Uh, For the past few years, we've had Napa County Historical Society telling us some creepy stories about Napa's past. And it's never fallen directly on Halloween, but right about there. So we had geared up to do a full-on, on-the-date-itself, spooky stories Halloween show, but um, you know we we felt that this really needed to take precedence. We needed to find out a little bit more about the Napa Valley Community Foundation, just slightly more important right now than celebrating scary stories. And unlike the rigid Lauren Mole here, who says November first, I'm done with Halloween. I I think we'll plan a Halloween show, a makeup show later in the month, maybe even in December. Who knows? We we'll get back to Halloween. But th- this is really important that we find out more about the Community Foundation because of, um, well, it's been on the news quite a bit. You've been doing some great stuff for our community long before the fire broke out, but especially since it broke out, you know, you guys have been quite uh, uh, talked about and the focus has been on on giving to you to find a place to put the funds. So let's just jump right into that. Um, Maybe just give me a little bit of the background on what the Community Foundation is, how it came about, what it does, and the role during the fire. Sure. So the Community Foundation is a public charity, uh, just like the Boys and Girls Club or Cope Family Center, except we play a very different role. We are a platform where local people make contributions and we leverage those contributions one against the other in hopes of really targeting uh, philanthropic resources to urgent needs and looming long-term issues and the things that really will move the needle in terms of the quality of life in Napa. 
So in ordinary times, uh, we distribute three or four million dollars a year across a portfolio that includes wow. all the stuff that makes our community more vibrant, like education programs and uh, health and social services programs and the arts, etc. And in a time of disaster, it's sort of I don't know. It's axiomatic that you can't be a community foundation and not pay attention to something like this that happens in yeah, your community. Yeah. Um, some people may remember that during and after the 2014 earthquake in Napa, we were privileged to help and got a significant lead gift from the Vintners of $10 million. And what I would say is that that experience, uh, which um, uh, was uh, uh, challenging but created learning opportunities for the foundation is is a sort of silver lining in this story about the fires insofar as we had things in place from last time. Mm -hmm. We had the experience of uh, connecting with trusted community-based nonprofit organizations with different kinds of skills that you need at different moments after a disaster. And we had some dry powder left over from the earthquake uh, to start, and that enabled us to get within, I, I think it was the first Friday after the fires, the 13th, um, ironically, since yeah. it's Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were able to distribute the first uh, about $600,000 to wow. some of those nonprofits wow. um, just to get the dollars flowing as quickly as we could. Uh, one of the things that's interesting that is a, uh, um, maybe it's a little arcane for a lay audience, but the disaster experts that you talk talk to often speak of phases. You know, there's the sort of response phase that occurs in when there's a hurricane or a fire or whatever it might be. And then there's the relief phase. Well, those things overlap during the fire. Mm-hmm. In other words, the earthquake was like a snapshot. It was jarring. It was terrifying. But it was over in 40 seconds. And then we could yeah. move immediately on to, okay, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Who is affected? What do they need? Uh, the fires have been like a movie. I mean, they played over the course of a couple weeks, and during that movie, we were all trying to mobilize and get relief to people who needed it as the story was unfolding, uh, and while first responders were still actively trying to knock down the fires, which was just different. And with many plot twists, Indeed. too, where the, the fire would turn another direction and different people would become affected. It's It's amazing how dynamic you can be in such a short amount of time, but obviously it's what what you guys do. How, how do you go about identifying where the need is? So at a high level, I think the job of um, the philanthropic sector in a disaster is to figure out where the gaps are. And so broadly speaking, there's most often three kinds of resources available to people who've been harmed by a disaster. They include the deep pockets of the federal government with typically small grants from FEMA, outright cash grants, and then small business loans at a low interest rate from the Mm -hmm. nice people at SBA. There's sometimes insurance payments, and then there's philanthropy. In the earthquake, uh, insurance was a non-factor. Only 4% of the people in California and Napa County had insurance. This time, many of the losses that have been suffered by the 462 people who lost their homes to the fires they will have um, private insurance that can stand behind them and help them on their path of recovery. Mm. So you say, what's the best and highest use for the charitable dollars? Our point of view as of this moment uh, in terms of where we are now is it's economic losses uh, suffered by the low to moderate income workforce. So 
after the earthquake, there were some economic losses, but they were focused, largely speaking, in the hands of a few dozen downtown Napa businesses who yeah, yeah. You couldn't, uh, you know, uh, lost inventory, lost business, couldn't occupy their buildings and conduct business as usual. Right. Here we have several thousand people who, you know, make between 15 and $30 an hour in ag and hospitality and retail who didn't get paid or didn't get paid enough or didn't get enough hours starting October 9th and are facing serious financial hardships. And so that's where my board last week decided to invest uh, $3 million of the roughly seven uh, that we uh, have on hand um, to to help people um, who are in that category. And how how does that look when you say the money goes to help these folks? It's running through certain nonprofits that they can turn to, or how does it? Yeah, how yeah. How do they get I mean, that assistance? Yeah, it's it's uh, 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 as much as I would like to. It's it's not like I can sit in front of Safeway behind a card table with our check stock and <laughs> right. and, and in a brief encounter with somebody identify yeah. where, you know are they a, a fire victim and are they qualified? So right. that is the job that we give to uh, Cope Family Center to the Up Valley mm-hmm. Family Resource Centers okay. and to the McPherson uh, uh, Neighborhood Family Resource Center, which is a program of On the Move. Each of those organizations sees thousands of people already. They're accustomed to distributing financial assistance in their ordinary course of business, though this is different and it's bigger. And they're really thoughtful uh, and compassionate in that moment of discerning, okay, what does this family need mm-hmm. and how can I gently – um, um, acquire from them the documentation that would substantiate their claim. Right. In other words, show me your pay stub from before the fire, show me one from thereafter, uh, and let's talk about how we can help you with November's rent or your utility bill or whatever it might I be. I see. Well, that's great. So those are the folks doing that good work. That, that, that's wonderful. And th- these are the types of organizations that you would work with on a day-to-day ba- uh, basis anyway. Yeah. But we've just gone into this overdrive mode. What has life been like for you since uh, the night of October, what was it, 9th? 8th. 8th. Yeah, okay. the night of the 8th. It's been yeah. um, frenetic and fast-paced and sort of amazing and kind of tiring all, all at the same time. So, you know, the Community Foundation is, uh, you know, this little magic box and money comes in the top and money goes out the bottom, <laughs> hopefully with some discernment and some good judgment sure, and some strategy. Sure. But with respect to the top of the bucket, we've gotten more than 10,000 contributions from wow. people all over the country, all over the world in, wow. what, three weeks. And that's, that's a couple of years of, of typical business for us. Amazing. Yeah, by comparison after the quake we got 500 gifts and I'm not sure why that's why the difference is so significant. I ha- I think I think it has something to do with the fact that the um, the nature of the fire was more cinematic. In other words, it was on nightly TV for weeks and it was in people's minds and it was gripping. Uh, in a way that the earthquake may not have been. It was in people's uh, consciousness for a longer period of time. It was. It certainly adversely I think affected a greater number of people in our community. Absolutely. Too. So yeah. maybe these generous folks recognize that. And yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. So you're you're sort of um, you've, you're you're busy on both sides of the enterprise. So money's coming in. You're meeting with your nonprofit partners. We've had probably dozens of meetings with the folks who are doing the work on our behalf. And from those meetings, you get a keener understanding of what the current and emerging needs are and, you know, who are the people that are falling through the gaps? What is the most urgent need right now? It's mm-hmm. not like we, de- we decide on our own. 
hey, we think there's an opportunity here with regard to the low to moderate income workforce. That is what we hear in the in the form of data from the local assistance center where our nonprofit partners were there on day one on Monday, the 16th of October, I think is when the lack opened. And, you know, it's a conversation that you have with people that you trust, that you ordinarily work with. And it's, it's really amazing to be in their company because they're all working uh, with great devotion and long hours. Any particular, you know, stories that you uh, would like to share of something that you witnessed personally or been involved in that you think kind of sum up the experience, maybe in a in a positive light, you know, somewhere yeah, where mean, you've really seen uh, the foundation be effective in 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 giving support to the community. Uh, you know what I would say is um, I want to shine that light back on our nonprofit partners. So I want to okay. say that uh, um, the night before the local assistance center opened was a Sunday. I think it must have been the 15th of October. In other words, T plus a week from the date the fire started. Right. And when we got word that the LAC would open, we knew that we had to have a presence there because that's where you begin to understand what people need because that's where everybody goes. And so we called an emergency Sunday supper at the community foundation. We have a big conference room there. And uh, bless their hearts, all the people that are now doing this work that I just described around emergency financial assistance, well, they all turned up. And because they turned up at 4 o'clock on a Sunday, we decided it would be appropriate to crack into the Community Foundation's significant uh, wine vault. And in addition to a (laughs) fancier-than-average, you know, uh, uh, boxed dinner, Uh we had a glass of wine and thought our way through what the approach would be. And just sitting with those folks, uh, you know, Alicia Abdo and Jenny O'Cone and uh, Michelle Groupie and Tracy Lamb from News, who's also involved in a very important way, was uplifting, you know, mm. and uh, it just felt great. That's wonderful. And it's, it's good to hear that you guys can all get together and and have that type of, um, well, it almost sounds just like a little intimate dinner party, but, but, the, but the fact that you're getting together and having a little wine, a little dinner, that I think that not only is, is good to exchange information, but that inspires creativity as well. And this was certainly something like our community hasn't seen, at least, you know, in generations. So that, a little creative approaches. It's what necessary. I always think a little wine helps the creativity. So that's where my that's where my head goes. Well, as Don, <laughs> glad to hear that. As Don Corleone said just before his famous death scene in The Godfather. Anyway, yeah. I'm drinking more red wine these days. Right? <laughs> that's, that's that's part of the prescription. That, that's the message right there. Drink more red wine, yeah. folks. Uh, as far as the community foundation goes, um, this is just right off your website. Maybe you can speak a little bit about this. This is under the heading, What We Do. Mm -hmm. And the very first sentence says, uh, we mobilize resources, inspire giving, build knowledge, and provide leadership on vital community issues to improve the quality of life for all in Napa. Fantastic. Just hoping maybe you can give us a little insight as to what that all means as far as uh, mobilize resources. Let's go point point by point. Uh, Mobilizing resources... It's getting the money out there, huh? Yeah, and, and, it's, and, it's, and, and it's giving it some trajectory and some focus, right? So that yeah. we live in a world where the needs will always outstrip the um, financial resources available to address them. And so the whole idea of the foundation is people come together, they pool those resources, and we think our way through what are the big issues and challenges, and we focus them, not as a substitute for the giving that people might do directly mm-hmm. to their church or their kid's school or whatever, but we say, look, what are the big things that... That require more capital, uh, and and how do we pay attention to those things? It's our 
point of view that, uh, in some respects, like, you know, the future of California is being written in the hinterlands and rural and semi-rural places like Napa, where there's all these big things like uh, immigration policy yeah. or uh, holding on to agricultural lands in the face of development or transportation and housing and land use and how those things tie into say, climate change, for example. And it's it's not like the Ford Foundation or the Gates Foundation is making big investments in Kern County or Shasta County or Napa. So it's like, by golly, we have to take care of our own. We have to build a platform where people who care about the future of this place can come together and point the money at things that um, we hope will ensure the same kind of vibrancy and cohesion that we enjoy today in 25 or 30 years' time. So, I mean, just before – here's a mobilizing story. And okay, I'll, great. I'll stop talking. Just, no, just before – You're the, here to talk, man. I want to hear your stories. All right. And I think you already answered the second question, but we'll get to that okay, in a second. Okay. So okay. just just before uh, the, the fires, or at least I think it was, time has a funny way these days um, – we got, uh, I don't know, 50 or 60 different donors together to help pay for the application fees that would need to be paid by Napa County's DREAMers, who faced a deadline mm-hmm. of October 5th, I think it was, to submit their paperwork in hopes of maintaining their lawful status in this country oh, wow. because of the rather precipitous decision the Tuesday after Labor Day by the administration to say the the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, or DACA, is ending, and a certain number of those people, if they uh, can get the $495 together in a month, which is not easy if you're 21 and a college student. Right. So our donors paid for that for, wow. uh, uh, I, I'm trying struggling to remember, but somewhere between 35 and 50 of those dreamers in our community got support from their neighbors. Wow. And I thought, well, that's a beautiful thing, and it's just a small example of how we how we mobilize. It certainly shows a little compassion here in our community. You always like to see that. Yeah. So the next point in the what we do section mm-hmm. of your website is inspire giving, but I think the stories you just told are how you're inspiring people to donate. Now, these are folks, I mean, obviously anybody can just give you a donation, I'm sure, go on the the website or pop in. Yeah. The, the website, by the way, if you want to have a look at home, it's NapaValleyCF.org. Um, I would imagine there are certain people who have their own, I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks with a lot of money in this town. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine some of your big donors probably even have their own foundations somewhere else that are concerned with whatever issues are dear to them. But they probably also have something set up with you as well, because these are people, you know, very invested in our community. Is that, do you have a lot of uh, that happening? We do have a lot of that happening, yeah. and I'm a, I'm a uh, the more the merrier kind of fellow. And mm-hmm. um, what I have noticed is that people who are successful and financially su- sophisticated often have more than one philanthropic wallet. So yeah. there'll be a private family foundation, or there might be a fund at a different. Um, fin- uh, pardon me, uh, uh, philanthropic organization like the San Francisco Foundation or the Jewish Community Federation. And they might also have a fund at the Community Foundation or just be donors to the Community Foundation. And uh, naturally, we welcome um, support from wherever it might come, whether it's a retired school teacher who gives us a $20 check or a retired right. venture capitalist who you know might add a few zeros to that check. Right, sure. The more the merrier, as Indeed. you say. And then the 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 third bullet point here is you provide leadership on vital community issues. Where does that come in? Do you go out and speak on issues yourself, uh, people on your board? Do you let the nonprofits do that themselves? 
How, yeah, so, how do you get the so, messages out? So, um, you know, I, will, I, I do a fair bit of going out and talking about the work of the foundation. We try to train up our board uh, members to do that, and they're a wonderful group of people who are volunteers, of course. We, we periodically will publish research. So uh, uh, five years ago, we did a big white paper on the economic and fiscal impact of immigration in Napa County to sort of start a civic conversation that was based in facts about the contributions that immigrants make here, which are overwhelmingly positive uh, about the fact that they pay their taxes at a rate proportional mm. to their share of population, that they're not uh, uh, counter to some people's views. They're not somehow a net drain on the public purse when you actually measure what we spend in terms of social services and government services and whatnot. And so a lot of the work is uh, uh, um, about moving other people's money around the county, and some of the work is also about uh, moving ideas and uh, um, information around the county in hopes of sort of undergirding um, um, a robust and engaged civil society to, at a sort of very micro level in Napa County. Um, so it takes many forms, I guess. That is wonderful. Um, obviously, a lot of um, thought, a lot of brain power, a lot of mobilization, a lot of community support. Lauren, I feel like I'm a little bit out of my league at this point. The last white paper I wrote was actually about the stylistic uh, superiority of the burritos of West Anaheim um, <laughs> on a trip to Southern California once. So this, I think, is actually doing a little bit more good in the world, what you're doing here, Terrence. Although... If you ever head down south, I'll tell you where to get a nice... uh, Send me a link to your work. Um, We do have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Terrence about the Community Foundation. But I'm a little curious about you as a person as well and what what gets a person to this point. So what do you say, Lauren? You're listening to Judd's Napa Valley Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Northern California and streaming live around the world at KVON.com, back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Thank you, Lauren Mole. Or what are we calling you? What is, the, what is the name of this pirate character you're portraying today? Captain Lauren. Captain Lauren. How you doing there, Captain? <laughs> are you taking over my show? Not today. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Our guest is Terrence Mulligan. He is the president and CEO of the Napa Valley Community Foundation. Information, NapaValleyCF.org. You can find out what they do. You can see uh, uh, a picture of him. He's very photogenic. You're going to want to have a look. We're talking about what the foundation is, how it benefits our community, focusing on what has been going on the past couple of weeks with the fire situation, where the foundation really received a lot of uh, attention and uh, positive PR, uh, well-deserved, and as a place to really make those donations because you guys, as they say, spread it around, but focus on where the, the need really is. So should we, well, I was going to say, let's keep talking about it, but you just you just pulled something out of here that that caught my eye. What what is that? Well, what you're looking at here is a uh, um, that looks wonderful. I would I would describe it as a uh, good but not very good quality edition in terms of its physical condition. A vinyl record uh, that is uh, the original Hawaii Five O TV soundtrack. Oh my! And goodness. I thought of you, Judd, because I know you have a keen appreciation for tiki culture yeah. and uh, ukulele music, among other things. And I thought, well, if if I was going to offer a gift to your gift bag, maybe this would be the thing to to bring. 
it's it's great. Except I, as as generous of a fella as I like to think I am, I I don't want to offer that up. You want to keep <laughs> I want it? To take that on myself. I of course I will offer that up in the spirit of giving. There we inspired are. by the Napa Valley Community <laughs> Foundation. I will offer this up. Thank you. This is uh, this is a little something for the goodie bag. So if you listening would like to get your hands on Judd's goodies, so to speak, this looks like an original pressing. Is there a year on that thing? Well, let's see. It's got to be late 60s, early 70s. Don't you miss liner notes? Yeah, I do. That is something about the digital age that I, I am not happy about, the, the demise of liner notes. Anyhow, it is a vinyl record of uh, the Hawaii Five-O soundtrack. If you are on Twitter, and that's really the only way to win this game right now, is to be on Twitter. Be the first one to tweet. Get in my hands on Judd's goodies with the hashtag JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show. And to really get it to my attention quickly, put at Judd's Hill. I'll see it immediately. The first one to tweet can have this collector's item I'm going to look on eBay. That's probably worth hundreds of dollars. <laughs> and uh, I'll take it back to the tasting room at Judd's Hill Winery at the south end of Silverado Trail where you can pick it up. I'll, I'll contact you and let you know when it's there. All right. Be the first one to tweet. Thank you very much. That's delightful. I I, I almost hope nobody tweets. Let's see what happens. I, I almost – how can I rig this game in my favor? It's a no, pretty, no, no. It's a pretty I, niche offering, so it is. You, you might you might be holding it at the end of all this. I want to no, but I want to spread the uh, the Hawaii ana, spread the aloha. This is a good one. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the Napa Valley Community Foundation. We were you wanted to make a point actually. We were off air, and I said, you know what? Let's save this for when we turn the sure. mics back on. Well, I wanted to say a couple things. The first thing is that when you do this kind of work after disaster, you always have to think of not just now but of the future, and so. The board that I work for and my hardworking staff, we're really trying to be mindful of the things that we don't know yet and trying to reserve some of the monies that we've raised so far for the uh, uh, undoubtable challenges that we'll, that we'll face around housing um, and rehousing people and helping people navigate insurance claims. And so I just mm-hmm. don't want to leave your readers with the impression that all we're doing is paying attention to the urgent short-term economic losses yeah, of the that's ag and hospitality workforce. The, s- the second thing I wanted to mention, and here what comes to mind is sort of an analogy to Halloween, okay. um, where tonight my kids are 11 and 9, and our neighborhood is a bit of a snoozer when it comes to knocking on doors. So oh, really? We love living there, but, you know, the population skews a little older, et cetera. So what we always do is we leave, you know, the giant uh, pot of candy on our porch, and yes. it's the honor system for, like, the 14 kids who might come by between 5 and 9 o'clock at night and we go we go to other friends neighborhoods and in some respects this uh pile of uh philanthropic resources that we're so fortunate to stand in front of and to try to steward over the course of weeks and months is a little like that uh that big bowl of candy on the porch and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of public conversation about being as efficient as you can and getting as many of those dollars directly into the hands of fire victims as possible. And I just want to make a plug for the quality of compassion and discernment and judgment and uh, legal compliance that's necessary in doing this kind of work. In other words, as much as I might like to or as much as Michelle Groupie might like to, you can't go to the farmer's market on Saturday with your check stock and just willy-nilly hand out $500 to somebody who says that they were damaged right. in some way by the fire. Right. So we are making investments in direct uh, cash aid to people, but we're also funding our nonprofit partners 
because we think it would be wrong to ask them to uh, to drain their working capital reserves mm-hmm. and stand up half of their staff to work for the next six weeks at breakneck speed uh, without receiving uh, some some grant funding to cover the cost of that investment that they make in helping us identify, well, who needs the money, yeah. when do they need it, for what purpose, and how do we leverage what will ultimately be limited philanthropic capital against other resources like the deeper pockets of government and insurance. So you want to make sure, for example, that someone that you're seeing um, uh, has already knocked on the door of FEMA to see if they qualify for disaster unemployment assistance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of work is uh, um, happening at a, at a very rapid speed, but it requires smart people on the ground who are in our nonprofits, and, and we believe strongly in giving them grants alongside of the giant pot of money that we're putting out for people directly harmed by the fires. Well, that's a good point. You know, folks, when they when they give donations, of course, they want it to assist people who have been adversely affected by disaster, whatever the case may be. But often you don't think about, well, you also have to support the supporters. Right. And there's and it's there's it's kind of the un, the non sexy side of uh, yeah, giving. And it's and it's you know, there's sort of two things I think that people might need who've been harmed by a disaster. One is financial support directly. And the other is, well, suppose you needed medical attention. Suppose you need a temporary shelter. Suppose you needed counseling because you've got some really some uh, anxiety that stems from having escaped the fires mm, yeah, sure. uh, uh, or whatever the case may be. And so just the just a sort of shout out to the public benefit sector that does this work year round, but is doing more of it as a result of the trauma that people have experienced and the loss that they've experienced. And, um, you know, after the earthquake, in this, oh, I don't know, almost $8 million that we distributed, about 78% of it was direct financial assistance to homeowners to rebuild their homes. Because remember, very few people had insurance. Yeah. Uh, and 18 or 19% of it went to nonprofits to help people with, you know, uh, uh, case management and medical care and counseling and all, a host of other things. That's wonderful. Thank you. On behalf of the community, uh, I want to thank you for leading our Napa Valley community foundation have you uh, what's your background you know this is the thing i've i've kind of known you for years you know mm-hmm. run into you at different events and we'll have a little chat and i always come away like oh that's that's a nice guy he seems pretty cool but i i don't really know you that well so what um who are you what's your background <laughs> where, where where did you come from are you are you a northern california guy did you come from Somewhere else. Well, Judd, I was actually you, I was actually born behind my desk at the Community Foundation forty six years ago. You know what? I, I, I could almost believe that <laughs> with the dedication no, so, that you have and the way you talk about there's there's this there's this spark in your eyes. I'm looking at you when you talk about this work. I could I could see this being you know your life. So no, so I'm a, I'm a, um, a third generation uh, Rosevillian. So I grew up oh, in Roseville, California. My uh, dad's dad was the constable of Roseville, Roseville between FDR and Kennedy, pretty much. And the constable, the constable, of sort of like you know the I don't know the the sheriff. Yeah, I was thinking you know, like and Andy Griffith. You exactly, know. exactly. And I, as near as I can tell, his job was to uh, occasionally shoe uh, you know mountain lions out of <laughs> out of uh, uh, you know ranchers. 
uh, orchards and that sort of thing. And uh, my family's all still there. That's where I grew up. Okay. Um, uh, I went to UC Berkeley and graduated and thought that I wanted to be in public policy. So I went to Washington, D.C. right after that. Yeah. And three years in that setting convinced me that I, that I didn't want to do that because of the glacial pace of things. I mean, even then, this is the early to mid-1990s, mm-hmm. things just didn't happen very quickly. And, you know, sidebar, I think that's by design, but we can come back to that later if you want to. Sure. And so I was sort of casting about for something different to do. I thought I would get a law degree or I thought I'd get a policy master's. And someone suggested that uh, maybe an MBA uh, would be a, different, a, a sensible thing to do. And so that's what I did. And uh, ah. uh, um, it was great training for me because everybody else in my business school class had worked at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey and & Company. And I was a, sort of the lone policy wonk in the crowd. Shall Felt I- like I learned a lot. Shall I ask? Um, shall I ask your pedigree? Where it was you received your MBA from? Uh, it I got it from Harvard Business School. Which... Harvard, Lauren. Have you ever heard of this school, yeah. Harvard? It's Actually, a... uh, I have. You have? Okay. Is that a good one? It is. Should I check into it for my kids? Um, I guess you could. <laughs> okay. So Harvard MBA is sitting across from us, Terrence. All right. Yeah, and you know, I, look, I'm a, I, I went to a middling public high school mm-hmm. and uh, felt lucky to be at Berkeley, and it was sort of a fantastical and different different experience for me to to go to HBS, and I, yeah. and it was great. And I, I like on the margin, I feel like I learned more than the average Joe because I hadn't come from banking on Wall Street or whatever. Uh-huh. And the idea was always to try to use what I learned uh, somehow to public benefit. And it took me a little while to come around to this sort of work. I looked at government jobs, uh, but for a period of years after business school to pay off my loans and to get back to California, I was a management consultant, which also has been helpful in the work I do because it forces you to uh, um, distill information and learn how to do that and communicate it to other people. I would imagine now as a management consultant, were you um, working with one particular business, corporation, uh, field? Were you traveling? A, a, a variety, right? So oh, right. you would work in financial services. You might work in healthcare. You might work in consumer packaged goods. And you definitely got on a plane uh, every Sunday night to go to Poughkeepsie or Cincinnati or Houston every or wherever. Every Sunday night. Well, yeah, pretty much. If you were on an engagement. And wow. it's, a, it's a job for the young. Let me put it that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, temporarily glamorous and interesting. But after a while... Uh, I knew it wasn't my cup of tea. You probably already now have spent all your miles and points that you've racked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I was but, a, a somebody once, but I am no more. <laughs> you, you had platinum status somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I'll, bet, I'll bet by memory you can probably still do a pilot's uh, pre-flight announcement. Uh, let me see what I can do for you. Can I get a little closer to the microphone? Yeah, yeah. You can okay. even, like, you know, cover your mouth and do, like, all okay. these things. Uh, my thing is not, is not the pre-flight. It's really the sort of in-flight. The in-flight. So okay, my, here we go. My niche. Lauren Mole, do you want to announce uh, like what we're about to hear? Looks like we're about to go on a, a Southwest Airlines flight to somewhere. All right, let me see what I can do. Uh, from the folks, uh, folks from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we are on our way up to 32,500 feet today in route to Houston, Texas. Flight plan is going to take us out over the southern San Joaquin Valley, up over the eastern Sierras, about... Uh, 200 miles north-northeast of uh, Las Vegas, across the Four Corners area and down through Amarillo into Houston, Texas. Weather on the ground in Houston is a very lovely 68 degrees. Winds coming out of the south at about 6 miles per hour. Once again, on behalf of your San Francisco-based flight crew, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us on Continental Airlines today. Sit back and enjoy the flight. 
That was me just ringing for a Bloody Mary mix and some more peanuts. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well done. Yeah, that still, was impressive. Yeah, I fumbled a little bit. I used to be able to do it. It was my one sort of dinner party parlor trick. Uh, it's been a while. I dig it. At my next uh, uh, flight-themed party, if I ever have one. I actually have a buddy. He does a, a DJ gig down mm-hmm. in uh, Alameda once a month, and it's called the International Flight Lounge, where he does kind of mod and different types of rock from different countries, usually, Fun. you know, mid-60s through early 70s type stuff. We'll have to bring you down there. Maybe you can be his co, uh, sure. co-pilot for the night. There you go. <laughs> That'd be great. You've got a little musical background, too, I've been told. Yeah, you know, uh, growing up, I'm the youngest of four brothers, and everybody played in band, and I played in band because I wanted to be like my older brothers, and I had a good ear, and it meant that as soon as I inherited my older brother's alto saxophone, I was playing it in, I don't know, third or fourth grade, and was playing in the middle high school jazz band by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, and... uh, um, uh, played alto saxophone pretty seriously into the early era of um, high school where all the kids who were really in the taking it to the woodshed and practicing more than me started to catch up and I decided I would go out on top but yeah. music continues to be a passion I'm an ardent listener and pretty much an omnivore when it comes to the great American you know canon of everything that's uh, great and uh, I've, it's a source of great happiness in my life and it took me a while, but somebody turned me on to Spotify not that long ago, and uh, being able to sort of go deeper in the catalog of people that you like is uh, super fun. Get some deep tracks. I find music just so not only uplifting but relieving as well. Mm-hmm. I just lose myself um, exploring these deep tracks or or revisiting old favorites or sometimes breaking it apart when I'm listening to a track. Uh, like, oh, you know, I never focused on the bass line or that saxophone riff, something right. like that. Just, I just love discovering music anyway uh did you ever do did you ever like did you ever have a band going to your gig sure yeah in college i played in a uh uh, a band that was i would say they were on the vanguard of rediscovering funk music oh yeah right so uh we had a small following we would play at you know uh, parties and things in berkeley co-ops and frat houses and so forth in berkeley yeah Uh, that band was called Roy's Boys, in case any of my friends who now live in L.A. are listening. But, Roy's Boys. Yeah, well, it was after Roy Orbison died, we decided the, the, the setup would be we were his long-lost son. So initially we wore <laughs> black and combed our hair down into a sort of uh, uh, Orbison-style sure. bob. It didn't last long. but the I'm trying to picture you right now. Get right, some dark the, glasses the heart of it was always uh, sort of – That'd be slick. Uh, you know, sort of James Brown and soul and R&B and that sort of thing. Dig it, man. Yeah, it's good fun. So if you're listening at home and just tuning in, this is – we're talking to Terrence Mulligan. He's the president and CEO of the Napa Valley Community Foundation. And we are learning also like what a cool duty is as well. Not only there to support our community uh, in good times and bad, but the guy can bring the funk. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. But something I'm sure many of our listeners would like to know, and I I hope you'll answer honestly. Sure. Um, You're not obligated, of course, uh, because this could be a sensitive subject. But since you are a somewhat prominent member of our community, a little more than somewhat, I would like to find out, do you go nuts for donuts? I do go nuts for donuts. How did you know? Well, today's your lucky day. And it being Halloween, we couldn't couldn't let the show go without some kind of treat. (laughs) I know we talked about some serious stuff, but... So it's not only donuts, but there's a couple of beautiful Halloween. Holy smokes. 
cookies, and uh, you got to check out that one donut too. I would know this pink box from a hundred yards. This is a buttercream bakery. Of pink course, box, is it? Of not? course, our fine friends at Buttercream Bakery. Uh, so there's some Halloween cookies, a witch, a pumpkin. There's a donut that oh, looks like it has you. a spider web. You know, ch- choose one of those. Yeah. If you want, you can take the whole box. But right now, you can. I want to see what you choose. Well, it's going to be real simple. You go right for anything with maple glaze on it. Ah, yeah. What? Uh, yeah, of course. That is well within a 90th percentile yeah. of our guests. And we are running short on time, so I'm not even <laughs> going to ask you to like pair that with anything. Usually we have some kind of improv thing with the donut. But that is just yours to enjoy with Thank no further so obligation. Because now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. That's right. Terrence Mulligan. President and CEO of Napa Valley Community Foundation. It's time to play Mad Libs. I think you know how this game goes. So we're going to jump right into it. I need a plural noun. Uh, cupcakes. Oh, okay. Right. right on the tip of your tongue there. I need a thing, a noun. Squirrel. Squirrel. All right. That's a good one. Another noun. Another noun. Uh, doorknob. Doorknob. All right. How about a year? It could be any year. Uh, 1938, the year my dear mother was born. Oh, that's a good one. We like that. We'll honor her. A geographic location. You can get creative with this. Geographic location. Uh, how about the uh, floating market uh, in Bangkok on the river? Floating market. How about right? Bangkok, Bangkok's floating market. There we are. Okay. I think that'll fit in nicely. A number. Any number. Uh, three. Is the magic number. All right. Very good. A plural noun, sir. Model trains. Model trains. Another plural noun. Fleece jackets. <laughs> We're getting to that weather, man. It is turning chilly here in Napa Valley. And uh, another plural noun. Stethoscopes. Stethoscopes. Okay. You're done. <clears throat> Earlier today... I went on the website for the Napa Valley Community Foundation, which is nvcf.org, and I encourage all the listeners to go check it out and see what's happening. On that, there is a, a, a biography of the president and CEO, which happens to be you, and you have now rewritten your own bio Outstanding. via this Mad Libs game. Are you ready? <clears throat> Here we go. Terrence is the chief executive officer um, – I could speak. Take your time. Thank you, Lauren. Chief Executive Officer of Napa Valley Community Foundation. In this capacity, he serves as the primary liaison with the board of directors and all cupcakes. (laughs) Right on, man. Liaisoning with cupcakes. He directs all asset development, squirrel leadership, (laughs) and doorknob engagement activities in the community foundation. I don't even know what that's like. You're reading from my journal right now. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Your family's proud. Prior to joining Community Foundation in February of 1938, Mm. Terrence spent three years at the Peninsula Community uh, Foundation uh, located in Bangkok's floating market. (laughs) Helping to raise more than $3 (laughs) from (laughs) model trains, fleece jackets, and you guessed it, stethoscopes. stethoscopes. Terrence Mulligan, president, CEO. Napa Valley Community Foundation, thank you very much for uh, everything that you have done and continue to do for our community. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you. And don't forget to set your clocks an hour back this Saturday night. This is Lauren Mull speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gillamar production. Happy Halloween. Judd's Napa Valley Show.